Hello and welcome to Biblical Breadcrumbs. In this episode, we'll be in Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 13, going down through 22, just the next couple of stories here in, in Matthew 19, in this story chapter. Now, last time, we uh, last couple times really, talked about some more controversial stuff in Matthew 19. Uh, the first 12 verses, those being about marriage and divorce and remarriage, uh, primarily marriage and divorce, and if that's good or not, and if that's acceptable or not. And I don't want to rehash all of that here. If you want, you can go back and listen to those. I'm not going to get into it again. Um, but it seems to me, at least, the basic conclusion that Jesus said was, hey, don't divorce, right? And, and ultimately, the apostles, the disciples, didn't like that very much in verse 10, they said, wait, if you can't get out of this commitment, if you can't get out of this marriage that you agreed to for a little bit, then uh, maybe you shouldn't get married. And Jesus says, yeah, you know, some people need that. Some people need to uh, n not go into that agreement and not go into that responsibility. And so there are eunuchs who have made themselves that way because of the kingdom of heaven. Look, God demands commitment in a marriage permanently. And um, if you're not committed... If you're not going to be committed, if you're wanting to be able to jettison it at some point, then maybe you just shouldn't get married. And that's going to be your answer. That's how God has it. And so, hey, the one who's able to accept it should accept it. Yes, this is difficult. Yes, this is going to be very hard for you to understand and for you to get used to. But this is how it is. This is how God always made it. Interesting, then that our next few verses deal with some children. And I'll talk about why in just a minute. Let's look at verses 13 through 15. Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 13. Then children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray, but the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, Leave the children alone. Don't try to keep them from coming to me, because the, the, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And after placing his hands on them, he went on from there. And so we spent the first few verses, right, this first nine verses or so, with the Pharisees asking a question and Jesus just kind of slapping that down. And no, it's not that way. Do you even understand the law that you claim to, to read and to have memorized and stuff? You don't actually understand what it's saying. And so the, the, the Pharisees had a question and they were corrected because of their incorrect understanding. Well, here, the disciples are also corrected uh, of their understanding in in this matter with the children. You know, truth is hard to accept. That's what Jesus acknowledged at the end of verse 12. It, it, the one who is able to accept it should accept it. It's going to be difficult to accept. But you know, children are not typically all that difficult to accept. Uh, people seem to like kids. It's pretty easy to just have a conversation with one or, or join in playing with one or spend time with a child. You know, people, like, enjoy that. Um, it's pretty common. And so it's not all that strange. And yet, the disciples don't think that way. The disciples are against the children. The disciples are pushing them away. The parents uh, or presumably the parents are bringing children to Jesus for him to bless them and pray over them. And the disciples say, no, you can't waste our master's time with that. Right now, that's, that's one uh, idea behind it, the motivation behind it, as told in, in different gospel accounts. 
they didn't want to take up Jesus' time with that. At least I think that's in the gospel accounts. I could be making that up. I don't remember, and I did not look it up beforehand. But that could be an explanation. Maybe they're just thinking Jesus is more important than dealing with these children. Or maybe they're looking at the, the verse 12, right? Some people shouldn't marry because because the kingdom of heaven, because God says so, and there's that responsibility. And so if you're really going to have that responsibility and give yourself to God, then maybe you shouldn't marry. Maybe marriage is bad. This is kind of a 1 Corinthians 7 kind of idea, right? Maybe marriage is bad. And if marriage is bad, then the byproduct of marriage, which often is children, well, those are even worse. And so, hey, Jesus said, Jesus said, eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, and now people are trying to bring their children to him? No, we can't have that. So maybe this is a response to Jesus' anti-marriage sentiment. I put air quotes on that, uh, if you couldn't tell. Maybe this is their response to that. I don't know. But they're rebuking these children. They're rebuking, presumably, the parents as well, but here it says the children. Um, and Jesus says... Were you even listening to chapter 18? Right, because what did he say in the first six verses of chapter 18? What did he say back there? Uh, the disciples are asking who's the greatest, and he uses a child to show them, and he says, you need to be like children, and whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. Well, now there are children coming to Jesus, and the disciples are pushing them away. Did they even learn anything? from the last chapter? Do they even listen? Do they even pay attention at all? And so stop rebuking the children. Whatever your reasoning is, however pure-hearted you are in this, however nice you're trying to be to Jesus, I guess, I, I, I don't know what's going through their head, whatever they're thinking, it's wrong. And so don't do that. Were you even listening to chapter 18? Were you even paying attention? How did you already forget this? Don't try to keep them from coming to me. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And so he blesses the children anyway. Jesus blesses those children. And he goes on. What? I don't even know what the disciples are thinking. Right? I don't even understand. I can make some excuses for them, but they're not very good excuses. And so what are they thinking? I have absolutely no idea. But somebody else isn't thinking either. Somebody else isn't paying very good attention either. And we meet him in verse 16. Let's read Matthew 19, starting in verse 16. Just then someone came up and asked him, Teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? He said to him. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He asked him. And Jesus answered, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I've kept all these, the young man told him. What do I still lack? If you want to be perfect, Jesus said to him, go, sell your belongings and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. But when the young man heard that, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. And so in this, in this little episode, right, in this little happening, this, this account, some random guy approaches, and he comes up to Jesus, and he talks to him. 
Now, it's weird to me, right? What do we know this guy for? Well, from the Matthew account, we know that he has many possessions. Seems pretty righteous, right? And so he's coming up. I assume he's dressed like he has many possessions. I assume he's displaying that in some way. And the disciples let him through. Odd that they would let someone who's rich come to Jesus while they reject the children. Now maybe, right, maybe you're wanting to look at this in a good light, and maybe they're they're learning from their past experiences, or maybe all they see is the physical, and they say, oh, this guy's important, this guy's rich. Jesus will want to talk to him. And Jesus wouldn't care about those children over there. They're insignificant, they're unimportant. But, but this rich guy, well, maybe Jesus thinks he's important, which, of course, is the wrong attitude, the entirely wrong attitude, but maybe that's what they're thinking. That's what I read into it anyway, and I know that's not a positive way to look at the disciples, but honestly, especially with the last story, it's pretty clear they haven't learned anything up to this point. So who knows? Maybe they have learned something here, uh, but I don't think they have. Either way, Somebody manages to get to Jesus through, through the disciples' careful screening, I guess. They get to Jesus, this guy, and he says, Teacher, he's, he says, Rabbi, what do I have to do to get into eternity? And Jesus answers this in a really weird way, right? Why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good or other translations say why do you call me good no one is good but god alone why, why do you call jesus teacher is he a teacher yes is he is he a, a rabbi yes it, to some extent but is that all he is right and and why do you ask the rabbi about what's good to do why do you ask the rabbi how to get into heaven does the rabbi bring you into heaven does the rabbi's teaching push you into heaven? Well, it should help, right? It, it should help guide you, maybe. It should give you some instruction. What do you think I'm doing right now, right? I'm trying to, to push you in that direction to give you a little more understanding of what's going on. But ultimately, my teaching is not going to get you into heaven. Guess what's going to get you into heaven? It's God. And it's God's teaching, if anybody's teaching. It's not about me. It's not about what I can do. It's not about what I am doing. And it's not about the effort that I put forth. It's about God in his word. If I display that well, congratulations, God gets the glory. And if I display that poorly, well, unfortunate that I ruined God's glory, although I hope it can be seen anyway. It's not about the teacher. It's not about the rabbi. And so when he's coming up to Jesus... He's honoring him, right? You, you teacher, you rabbi, but he's clearly not understanding who Jesus is. He's basically saying, hey, wise human, tell me how to get into heaven. And Jesus says, God's the one in heaven. You need to be asking God. Now, is Jesus God? Yes, absolutely. But this guy doesn't understand that. And this guy doesn't seem to get that. Uh, and so Jesus answers, why do you call me good what are you basing that off of why are you looking at another human being and saying you're good you must know how to get into heaven you must have the way down well guess what only god has that only god has access to the way and he lets people in but we need to go to him not some random human 
faith is about the Lord. Faith is not about other people, right? The, the, the facts, the, the thing that we look to is about the word that the Spirit preserved for us. It's not about the words of smart people who can think a lot and stuff like that. Don't focus on the person. Focus on the Lord. Wow, that was a little bit of a tangent. Well, I guess I must have been really uh, irritated about that point. Um, and so Jesus says, God is the good one. Go to God looking for salvation. Now, if you want to enter into life, okay, here's what you do. You keep the commandments. And the guy says, okay, which ones are those? And Jesus says, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what are those? Why do those sound familiar? Hopefully they do sound familiar. Right? You got love your neighbor as yourself, which is the first and greatest commandment, as Jesus says. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Oh, wait, sorry. I, it's love your neighbor as yourself is the commandment here. Uh, this is the second greatest commandment. It goes right with loving God. So, whoops. Uh, misspoke there, I think. Oh, well. Um, love your neighbor. It, it's also this kind of overreaching idea, right? Because all of these things fall under loving your neighbor. Don't murder. Well, that's a, you know, not killing your neighbor is a pretty nice thing to do to them. And so these these examples all fall into loving your neighbor. But do you know where these come from? Do you recognize these? Uh, here's here are the few that aren't there. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, nor having graven images. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath, and then honor your father and mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. And thou shalt not covet. We're missing the first four because they have more to do with your relationship with God and less to do with your relationship with man. And we have all of these that deal with the relationship with man, including love your neighbor as yourself. But we're missing, thou shalt not covet. Right? And so, he, and so the guy says, yeah, I've done all these things. I don't kill people. I don't fornicate. I don't go stealing from other people. Don't lie about them. I treat my parents well. I'm generally loving to people. And Jesus says, great, I'm glad that you are. You've got nine out of ten of the commandments down, kid. So let's work on that tenth one. Thou shalt not covet. If you want to be perfect, go and sell your belongings and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Thou shalt not covet. Don't have stuff here. Don't fixate on stuff here. Stop making your identity about the stuff that you have here. Get rid of it. Give it to other people, and you ultimately get stuff in heaven for doing that. And after that, then you come and follow. And of course, when the guy hears that, he turns away. And he goes somewhere else, because he may be dedicated to the Lord. He's dedicated to the Nine Commandments in doing what's simple, I guess, what's easier but as soon as it starts getting to a place he doesn't want to follow, he says, nope, I'm not dealing with it. I'm not going to face that. And he walks away. Thou shalt not covet. Well, he kept nine out of ten of the commandments, right? And what about the tenth one? Does anybody really care about the tenth one? Does anyone pay attention to the tenth one? I don't know. Nine out of ten is pretty good, right? 
passing grade in a class, you get an A. But it's not good enough to get yourself into heaven. It's not good enough to work yourself into heaven. You can't survive by doing most of what God said because you're still guilty under the laws that God has given. And so he's not that dedicated. He's dedicated to God. He's doing some good work, apparently. But it's really not going to do anything for him because he's not entirely faithful. So he walks away because he has so much stuff. And we'll pick up from here with a very related story. We'll pick up from here next time. But before we go, let's just turn and look at four, four of the more practical ideas, four of the, the principles that come from this section. Number one. Uh, number one I find in verse 13. Right, Children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray. Those are good things. But the disciples rebuked them. After just having heard this, after just having paid attention to Jesus, well, apparently they weren't paying attention back in chapter 18 because they just blatantly go against it and ignore whatever he taught before. And they are opposed. You know, it's just... I don't understand it. These guys are, are, are kind of silly, you know? They hear something, and then they walk away, and they absolutely forget what they heard, and they just go completely contrary to it, even though Jesus spent so long telling them about it. He spent a long chapter and a long dialogue telling them about this stuff, and yet they just instantly reject the children the first opportunity they get. Ridiculous people, right? Well, don't... Do we ever do that? Do we ever forget our learning, the experiences that we have, and we kind of gloss over those, and in the moments when we're faced with a situation, we forget what we knew from the past, we forget what we know in the faith that we live in, and we just do something, something stupid. Maybe it's actively evil, maybe it's just delaying good, like it is in this instance, maybe you can consider that actively evil. What is it? Because we're just as forgetful as they are. And so as much as we want to point fun at them, and as much as we want to look at them and say, wow, that's kind of ridiculous of you doing that, we're exactly the same way. And we need, really need to check ourselves to make sure we're not doing the same thing that the apostles are doing. Don't forget what you've learned. Second thing is in verse 17. Why do you ask me about what is good? Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Look, I talked about this already at length, uh, a little bit longer than I meant to, but think about this. What's our view of Jesus? Do we see Jesus as God, or do we see him as just some cool teacher guy? Because if we see him as God, that's good. And that, and that gives us a foundation. That gives us a reason to follow him and a reason to put forth all of this effort to be his disciples. But if we don't see him as that, if we see him as some cool teacher guy who laid out some ideas that were pretty nice and generally made you a decent human being, if that's all we see Jesus as, we're kind of missing out. There's no reason to follow him if he's not God. There's no reason to follow him, and we shouldn't follow him because he's absolutely insane if he's not who he says he is. He's claiming something way beyond his league if he is not the Lord. And so do we see him as the Lord? Or do we see him as just some random human? I think maybe we should think about that one. Because we need a 
a refined and a very high view of who Jesus is and the work that he came to do. Third idea comes from verse 21. If you want to be perfect, go and sell your belongings and give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Look, the commandment, thou shalt not covet, kind of gets solved when you sell your belongings. But Jesus doesn't just stop there. He says, then you go and give them to the poor, right? And so you could argue that's an extension of the idea of selling your belongings. Well, you got to do something with them. Okay, give them out. And that's even a furtherance. And so it's very clear that you've given up on coveting. It's very clear that you're not coveting anymore. Go sell your belongings and give to the poor. Then come and follow me. That's not related to not coveting, I don't think. I can't fit it in there. That's not related to thou shalt not covet. Instead, he gives a command, and he says you need to keep the 10th commandment. You need to do the thing that God said. You need to follow You need to follow this command and this rule and actually be obedient to the rule set. But your faith doesn't end when you keep all the commandments. Your faith doesn't end when you refrain from doing all the bad things. Now you've got to do something worthwhile. Your faith doesn't end when you keep all of the commands that God has given you. That's just the beginning, because we're always called to go above and go beyond and go out and do something with it. And so give up your your stuff. That's good. But ultimately, he could just earn it all back again or earn some of it back again, and he could keep that mindset He needs to get out and do something worthwhile. And so get rid of the bad. Don't covet anymore. And intake something good. That story Jesus tells, not in Matthew, um, or at least I don't remember it from Matthew, but we may have passed it already, uh, where there are one demon gets cast out and then he surveys the land and just comes right back to his host. And the host didn't do anything with that freedom. And so he brings back seven more. Look, you can get rid of your covetousness for a little bit, but if you don't come and follow, if you don't put forth effort, if you don't go beyond what you're just surface level called to, then it's just going to be worse in the end. Faith doesn't stop at doing the minimum. And don't think you can just do the minimum and get away with it. God sees that. And then the fourth idea Right? Don't, don't be forgetful. Refine your view of Jesus. Uh, pay attention and, and don't just stop at doing the least that you can, but actively pursue something greater. And this fourth idea comes from verse 22. When the young man heard that, he went away grieving. Jesus doesn't kick him out. Jesus does not get rid of him. The Lord does not push this man away. He's the one who goes. He's the one who leaves. He chooses to leave. Right? A lot of times I think we can get into this idea that Jesus is just kind of pushing people away and kicking people out. And that's kind of rude, right? The thing is, there's an objective law. There's an objective rule that we have to follow to be God's. Jesus lays that out. And then he stands there and he waits. And if we want to join him, we can. And if we want to walk away, he'll let us. But he doesn't push us away. He doesn't get rid of us. We get rid of him. And we choose something else. We go after the possessions and walk away from Jesus 
while he's standing there. And I get the impression Jesus is not all that thrilled about this, right? He's standing there. He wants the guy to come to him. He wants the guy to accept, but that man just won't. And so just as the young man is sorrowful, I imagine Jesus is pretty sorrowful about this too. God doesn't get rid of us, but we get rid of him. And he gives us the choice to be willing to, to be able to leave him behind. Well, looking at those couple of stories, we'll, we'll pick up from there, uh, going into a very related story, and so I debated not going into the rich young ruler, as we typically call that. Uh, but ultimately, for timing's sake, it works better to do that, and we'll just pick up from there next week. So hopefully that's helpful and gives you something to think about. Um, I am feeling a little bit off, a little bit sick tonight, and so I hope that that didn't disrupt too much, although probably got in the way uh, a little bit and made me a little bit more rambly than I've been trying to be in these last few. So sorry about that. Uh, hope it's not too bad and hope that the message of God can shine through anyway because, you know, it's not about the teacher. It's about the subject. It's about the material. And we've got pretty good material. So thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Hope you learned something from it or, or benefited from it in some way. I uh, hope it gives you something to think about. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed. And I'll see you on the next episode of Biblical Breadcrumbs.